Canada was doing okay. It was pretty free. How come we're this, you know, bizarre authoritarian nation? I have to explain to them. Well, there was this slow creep amongst um, our, our decision makers over the last 20 years away from just, in, you know, interpreting and applying the evidence and interpreting and applying the laws to imposing their own views on, on society and remaking society in their own image. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Those of you who follow the show will know that recently um, we published a uh, online a, a video essay of a paper that I wrote called Here I Stand. Uh, it's for a book that I'm writing uh, called Leftist Lies, Laws and Liberties, uh, soon to come out. Um, but that paper discussed an issue that we are going to delve into today, and that is what is happening with professional colleges and societies, these self-governing entities that control professions in Canada? And, and more importantly, what happens when they decide to mete out discipline and individuals go before these boards of discipline. Um, should we be concerned about whether or not these boards have been corrupted or are following, uh, let's say, a pro-government narrative and not giving fair impartial hearings? Well, today on the program, we have our good friend James Kitchen, uh, Liberty lawyer, fighter with the Liberty Coalition Canada. We also have one of his clients, uh, Dr. Wall, who's an Alberta chiropractor who's been impacted in this way. We talked a little bit about uh, Dr. Wall the last time James was here, but today we're going to get into this in more detail. So welcome to the program, uh, James, and also Dr. Wall. Thank you. Yes, Thanks thank for having you. me. All right. Uh, before we we dive into the, the uh, topic um, more directly, as we always do, we're going to go to our aphorism sports. These ones... Um, it won't surprise deal with masks. Uh, the first one is from Oscar Wilde, who once famously wrote that a mask tells us more than a face. Next one is from French author Victor Hugo, who wrote that virtue has a veil and vice a mask. Uh, the next one is from uh, a friend of the show uh, who has been on uh, a couple of times and is someone very well known has about half a million followers on Twitter, and that's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. And he just tweeted this today. He said this about a Cochrane study that we're going to be talking about, a meta-analysis on masking. Uh, he says, the bottom line, the New York Times unethically involved itself in a scientific dispute to spread the false idea that high-quality scientific data say masks work to stop respiratory virus spread. So why are we talking about masking today? Well, uh, the main reason is that um, Dr. Wall uh, took a very courageous stand uh, that resulted in him being uh, disciplined and indeed suspended by his college. Uh, and uh, so, James, I wonder if we could start with you and explain basically what the whole legal dispute is and also um, talk about how the decision unfolded recently. I understand there was a hearing some time ago and then finally a decision came out in February. 
So the primary dispute, and again, thanks for thanks for raising this issue because I know um, you know part of the problem is that issues come and go, and people people tend to forget about them. But but this issue matters legally and uh, culturally to us, and it's going to continue to matter, uh, partly because it may happen again. And the reason we or the the, the the way that we potentially prevent that is by dealing with it properly now. Um, so the issue for Dr. Wall always was in the beginning, you know, look. Um, this thing gives me trouble when I wear it. And it gave a lot of people trouble. People who are listening will know that. They will, they will remember from wearing it how much trouble it gave them, whether it was headaches or lightheadedness or dizziness or nausea or whatever it was. And so Dr. Wall had some pretty serious symptoms as soon as he tried to wear this thing. And it not only impacted him, it impacted his ability to service clients, which he really cares about. He's a longtime chiropractor. He's got a lot of longtime patients. And so then it becomes an issue of physical and mental disability. These are protected grounds in the Human Rights Act. And um, this used to be a big deal that we, you know, we'd really try to help people who have disabilities uh, equally participate in society. Unfortunately, right. nowadays, it's become more about, you know, whether or not you're, you're, you're black or you're gay or you're something else that's really popular these days. If you're disabled or you're religious, those, those grounds don't really matter as much anymore. And that's really unfortunate. Um, but that's always what it was about. It was about accommodation and the Human Rights Act, which, of course, is quasi-constitutional legislation and supersedes any sort of public health order. That's, that's the law on paper. That hasn't been the law in practice, unfortunately. That's the law on paper. And that's what the case was always ultimately all about. We tried to explain that to the college. I was involved early on. Um, the college would have none of it. They tried to uh, suspend Dr. Wall's license on sort of um, an emergency basis, which is the kind of thing that's reserved for when professionals really go off the rails, like they're raping their clients, they're stealing money, that type of stuff. That's what that's reserved right. for. So they were mm -hmm. sort of, you know, implicitly comparing Dr. Wall to somebody who's actually hurting his patients. And obviously Dr. Wall wasn't. They were unsuccessful. Dr. Wall kept his license and he actually practiced without a mask for uh, two years while these proceedings went on. And of course, nobody was harmed. Um, so we had our hearing and the primary argument was about, look, there was there was no undue hardship on the college or on anybody else because masks don't work. And if they don't work, that means there's no undue hardship. It means you have to accommodate Dr. Wall. You have to permit him to not wear a mask because he has mental and physical disabilities. He has reasons for why he can't wear one. It makes him, uh, it, it causes symptoms for him as it does for many people. No surprise right. there, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we brought in the scientific experts to back that up, right, to show that they don't work. And if they don't work, this is how this is how the legal analysis works. If they don't work, there's no one to hardship. You, he has to be accommodated. And if he has to be accommodated, that means you can't discipline him for having a disability that renders him unable to wear a mask. That was the main argument. There were some other issues in there because uh, in addition to the college attempting to punish him for not wearing a mask, they also wanted to punish him for not telling his patients that masks work. Oh, really? Yeah. So there was there was some compelled speech aspects. So I, I did bring in 2B of the charter. I did talk about freedom of expression. And I said, look, you know, professionals obviously have the right to express themselves if if what they're saying is true. Right. The college cannot censor uh, its its uh, health professionals if what they're saying is true. It, they may not like it, but if it's true, well, free expression protects true speech. You cannot penalize true speech as being unprofessional to share if it's true. Right. Again, going back to that whole idea that scientifically speaking, as we know from the Cochrane study and all the other stuff before, masks don't work and they actually are harmful. We brought in Chris Schaefer as an expert as well to talk about right. how they're harmful. So Dr. Wall yeah. discussed these things with his patients. The college took objection to that, tried to penalize him for that. And so that was compelled speech. So that was sort of a side argument to the, to the main issue. So that was um, it was a huge case, but that's sort of the essence of it. Thanks for that, James, for that explanation. That, that sets us up rather well. Dr. Wall, I want to come back to you 
And if you wouldn't mind, maybe take us back to the early part of the pandemic when you first discovered it first came out. Now it's been uh, we just passed the three year anniversary of the announcement of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, so take us back to that time in your practice and how did you decide to deal with that situation within your practice as a chiropractor? I know you've been practicing in Alberta for over 20 years at that point, but how did you decide to deal with that in terms of, you know, where you're going to continue your practice? How are you going to deal with your patients? Could you take us into that moment and those decisions mm-hmm. that you made? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. You know, when the, the pandemic first rolled out in early 2020, um, uh, quite honestly, I was quite skeptical about uh, the, the, the narrative that was being portrayed by the uh, provincial and, and the federal um, health associations. And um, right away, I didn't buy into the fear aspect. I thought there's something fishy going on here mm-hmm. where the whole world seems to be following a certain narrative and, and just totally disregarding uh, basic common sense and, and really science from, from my end of things. I, I just, uh, so right off the start, I was pretty skeptical and I, I dug into looking into uh, the science and, and following certain people who were well-respected in the health uh, industries across the world and uh, looking at their, their thoughts and their uh, perceptions about what was going on. And so um, that, that kind of led me down a path of uh, right away, you know, not uh, perhaps trusting what was going on with the, the whole uh, narrative. But mm-hmm. um, and then our, our college came out with the uh, pandemic directive. And of course, like all health professions, um, uh, there were certain regulations that were put in place. And one of them obviously was masking. And um, honestly, I, I wore a mask um, uh, initially uh, to to obey those rules. And but right off the start, uh, putting a mask on, I was very aware that uh, not only uh, mentally was I anxious, felt claustrophobic, but uh, physically I, I had symptoms as well. And so uh, that was a struggle in my mind because I, I couldn't uh, concentrate well when it came to, um, you know, note taking and, and mm-hmm. discussing with my patients what was going on and and treating them. I, I felt physical disabilities, mental disabilities. So um, after how, a couple how long, of months, how long did you wear the mask, uh, Dr. Wall? Before yeah, you no more than to... a couple of months. Okay. No more than a couple of months. Yeah. yeah. So a pretty good sample size anyway. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so at the end of that couple of months, I decided uh, that no, I, I couldn't do this and, and offer the best care to my patients. So I stopped mm-hmm. wearing one. Uh, I did not indicate that or, or tell the college that. Um, and, um, and then fast forward to December, uh, 2020, where an anonymous patient of mine complained to Alberta Health Services that I wasn't wearing a mask. And um, so Alberta Health Services contacted me. We had a brief conversation and uh, the health officer said that they were gonna pass that information on to the college. Uh, the next day I received a, a call from the registrar uh, we had a brief discussion, and um, uh, I told him that I was not able to wear a mask and that, that I was mask exempt. Uh, he said that um, you know they had to deal with the the, uh, the public uh, perception of of health, and um, and so yeah. Then the, the the registrar passed the call on to the complaints director, 
the complaints director called me the next day and a similar conversation ensued. And, and um, again, he was more concerned about um, the public health versus my accommodation of not being able to wear a mask. And, uh, and Dr. Wall, you had actually, not only were you very disclosive with the professional college, but you had actually gone to your patients and sought their consent to, to treat them without the mask on, right? I mean, you were very, very clear with them and you, and you, and you gave them the option, the choice of having you wear, wear the mask or not wear the mask. Is that right? Yeah, I had several interactions with patients, patients that, um, you know, asked me questions about it and, and I was very upfront. There was no negativity uh, mm. from a, a patient point of view. Uh, they were very accepting. Um, if there was a, a patient who uh, was not comfortable with my not wearing a mask, I would not have known it. Uh, they may have uh, disappeared, but I, I wouldn't have known at the time. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, most people were very understanding. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but at some point, despite all of this, the college decided to suspend you and not permit you to practice. Is that right? Well, there was actually no suspension, but the complaints director did say that he was going to start a process of, of suspending my license, okay. and he had to pass that decision on to a, a council-appointed uh, person to, to uh, kind of solidify that. Mm -hmm. And that person actually said that, no, um, we're not going to suspend Dr. Wall's license, but we're going to put practice conditions um, on him and he can continue to practice. And so Did those, those conditions include masking? No, those practice okay. conditions were basically obtaining patient signatures uh, who the patients were aware that I was um, not wearing a mask, that I had a mask exemption, mm -hmm. and uh, that they were okay to be treated by me and uh, without my wearing a mask. And then the second condition was uh, that they would sign a form that uh, said that they were uh, basically the pre-screening questions um, for COVID conditions were all met by that mm -hmm. patient. And so that was the two conditions that all patients had to uh, sign before being treated. So how did this turn into a, a disciplinary situation? Go ahead. <laughs> so, so after the college failed to get that, that what was supposed to be an interim suspension, that's when they launched the, the proceedings to actually go right. to the hearing. Okay. Right. It took, um, it took a full year and a half to even get to the hearing, right? And then, of course, wow. it took you know another seven or eight months to get a decision. So that's how, even though this started in December 2020, you know, it wasn't until mm -hmm. January 2023 that we got a decision, right? Because it took all that time. I mean, initially, the college had to actually adjourn because it couldn't find an expert. I put three experts in. They couldn't find one. They told me they had to adjourn at the last minute to find an expert. Then they found Wait. one. And I found, I found the fourth one. So can I, can I ask you a question about this, James? Because I want to make sure I understand this correctly, because this was really appalling. My understanding is their expert was basically a GP. It was not an expert at all. He was just somebody who had medical training. But and you, you produced, you produced yeah. like eminent world renowned experts that, you know, someone like Dr. Fauci or Dr. Tam would call a fringe person. But I mean, we're talking about Dr. Byron Bridal, people of that nature, right? Very, very eminent experts on COVID and the efficacy of masking. Uh, but in the end, <laughs> my understanding is uh, the college actually preferred the evidence of, of the college's so-called expert 
to to this whole uh, army of, of very renowned experts that you produce. Is that is that do I have that right? Yes, and oh, it's wow. it's really quite laughable. Um, you know, it's it's really sad. It's 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 almost as if the, the four people on the tribunal who made this decision they sort of expect nobody's going to read this, nobody's going to read the transcripts, nobody's going to hold hold us accountable, nobody's going to care. Like it's really quite laughable. It's an 87-page decision. It's it's quite long, um, but the analysis is really poor, uh, like embarrassingly poor. I mean, obviously, I read a lot of terrible decisions from judges that just totally disregard people's individual rights and freedoms and say government is great and government's the answer to everything. Right. Um, yeah. But this this has got to be one of the poorest, most embarrassing decisions I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the interesting things about the decision is it, is it never cites to the record. Right. There's a 1400 page record in this case. The decision never cites to the record. Right. I, I submitted a 50 page factum that has about 100 citations to the actual transcript record of the evidence. Right. They didn't cite to the to the record once. They just sort of blithely say, well, well, we prefer this um, this expert here that the college has, even though he made two retractions, uh, even though he had only a quarter of the academic citations. Uh, even though, you know, he was actually very juvenile and unprofessional, even though most of the time he was just insulting the other experts instead of actually engaging with them in a debate. Really? Even, despite all wow. those things, we're going to prefer his evidence. We're going to ignore Dr. Byron Bridal, the eminent vaccinologist and immunologist. We're going to ignore the respirologist. We're going to ignore the, the medical microbiologist that's getting his degree in epidemiology from the London School of Economics. We're going to ignore all those people and we're going to take this, you know, this hip young um, doctor from uh, Calgary who's, you know, in, into the COVID vaccines and, and uh, you know, was advising Dr. Um, Dr. Uh, uh, Hinshaw on, on making the CMOH orders. We're going to take his advice, even though he's just a GP and doesn't know anything about immunology or anything like that. It really is. It's, it's, um, it's quite pathetic, really. That's, that's the word I'd have to use to describe yeah. it. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting topic, and uh, I want to come back to Dr. Wall and get his impression of this, but uh, we recently had on this program a couple of uh, lawyers, James will know about this, who who uh, created a petition in in protest of mandatory, essentially racial sensitivity training for lawyers that had nothing to do with their competency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, there's a very, very highly publicized case right now involving Dr. Jordan Peterson, who is being uh, made to take... Uh, Social media sensitivity training. Seems to me he should be teaching that course given his success on social media. But it begs the question of what is going on with these professional colleges? So, Dr. Wall, you've been a chiropractor for a long time. Um, What is your impression of what's going on with the college? Are you concerned that there has been a a political shift to the left within your profession uh, and specifically within your professional college? Yes, excellent question. And absolutely, I've, I've seen this shift. Um, I've, I've had discussions with family members over this saying, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, I could see a subtle trend uh, where the regulatory aspect of the college uh, had more and more power, was coming out with more and more uh standards of practice and, and code of ethics that seem to be um, more uh, heavy handed. And um, so, yes, I, I, I'm very aware of this happening and um, it is disconcerting. It, um, it, it makes um, a member, I believe, of these regulatory bodies um, just 
kind of more fearful of practicing. You're, you're wondering if you're going to get um, crushed by your regulatory body at any moment for, right. for some strange little thing. And uh, so, yeah, it, it is a very big concern of mine. Uh, I wonder, gentlemen, whether either of you think that there might be hope on the horizon. It seems to me that um, <laughs> a professional college has chased a very big, angry, powerful bear into the woods in the form of Dr. Jordan Peterson. And, um, of course, his situation, because he's so well-known, because, let's face it, he has so much money, and he's so smart and so stubborn, that um, he's taken on the Psychological College in Ontario. They haven't backed off. But either way, it seems to me, it seems to me that this could have a very broad-reaching effect for all of us who are governed by these, uh, these, these self-governing uh, professional boards and colleges. Would you agree with that, James? Yes, I actually think that's part of the reason why the tribunal uh, couldn't bring itself to follow the evidence in the law in this case, right? Because it would have been a real blow to the to the mask, the pro mask narrative. And I think I think that's unfortunate. But that's part of the reason. I'm, I'm only speculating, but I'm but right. I, but I but I do I do honestly think that that's part of the reason why they ruled the way they did. Because if they hadn't of, they knew I would have publicized it, and it would have been a, it would have been a huge blow to the pro COVID narrative. Um, so yes, I do think I do think there is some hope. Uh, I do think there. Um, there can be some accountability. Uh, I do think the colleges can lose. And if pe people start to care and pay attention, I mean, people cared and paid attention to Dr. Peterson. They showed up, they protested, they're writing about it in the mm -hmm. media. Uh, I think this is great. When I saw this happen to him, I said, you know what? Um, I'm really glad it's happening to him. It's unfortunate it's happening at all. I'm glad it's happening to him because he's got the guts and the money and the platform to really bring this to the fore and, and, and push back. I'll give you another interesting example. I criticized the court of Alberta for its vaccine mandate way back in the fall of 2021. There was a complaint filed against me by a uh, lawyer in Ontario who worked for one of the big banks. I heard about this. And uh, now I can't give specific details because for some reason there's, there's, a, there's, sort of a, there's sort of a secrecy clause, and I'm still trying to figure this out. There's a secrecy clause in the law society mm. um, uh, legislation about how I can't talk about this with, with any detail. But there was this complaint basically said, you know, look, Mr. Kitchen's uncivil and he's criticizing the court too much. And that's unprofessional. And ultimately, um, that complaint was dismissed by the law society. Now, I can't tell you what happened and, and, and why, but I was a little surprised. You just I, told us. <laughs> I expected I expected the law society to take Mr. Kitchen to task for publicly oh. criticizing the court's vaccine mandate. Wow. And they haven't. They didn't. And I'm left saying, hmm, wonder what that says about whether the law society finally sees um, a limitation on its own ability to persecute its members. And maybe it says, hmm, we won't go after Let's this. Hope. Let's hope. And, you know, that's and, and that's that's brilliant, James. And, and uh, let's hope that's true, because it proves that sometimes you've got to fight these fights just to find out where the limits are. Right, just to find where the find out where the boundaries are, you know, in the game that you're playing. Um, we're at the part of the program now where we get into something called the reading list. Uh, James had some great suggestions last time. I'm going to ask both of you to perhaps recommend a book or two. The first book that uh, I'm going to refer uh, people to is called uh, "United States of Fear." It's specific to the U.S., but has uh, has uh, implications also for Canada. Uh, this book is called United States of Fear, How America Fell Victim to a Mass Delusional Psychosis. And those who are interested uh, might want to go back and 
listened to the interview we had with Dr. Uh, Robert Malone, who talked about the Matthias Desmond book, the, uh, the uh, psychology of totalitarianism. But this, this book uh, is described, it's by a psychiatrist named Mark McDonald, and he diagnoses that he diagnoses this, that we are suffering from a mass delusional psychosis driven by a pandemic of fear in response to COVID-19, which we've talked about today on this program. And uh, he says that uh, as the pandemic unfolded, uh, Dr. McDonald, much like Dr. Wall, grew increasingly concerned by the negative mental health effects he witnessed among his patients and, and uh, really uh, worldwide. These negative effects include stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, domestic violence, suicidal ideation, all directly traceable to the climate of fear being stoked by public health authorities. Perhaps, Dr. Wall, do you want to um, go first and mention a book or two that you think would be useful to people taking in this podcast? I, I've read so much in the last three years. It's unbelievable. A lot of, of short essays, research papers, et cetera. But um, just a couple that came to mind uh, recently, I read a book called Solving the Brain Puzzle uh, by Dr. Bill Code. And uh, it gives uh, some helpful insights into um, how we can protect um, and deal with maybe toxicities uh, that affect the brain. Uh, a lot of helpful tips nutritionally and lifestyle-wise. Um, and then another book that was referred to me by James' wife many years ago called Live Not By Lies. Oh, yes. Uh, by Rod Dreher. Rod Dreher, yes, um, brilliant book. Yeah. Excellent, excellent book. Uh, a lot of uh, very cogent uh, points made that just have similarities to today uh, mm. that most of us can really, um, you know, take to heart and, and live out. So James, uh, did you have some, some new suggestions for us? Last time you had some terrific ones. Well, I was thinking about this last night and the book that kept coming to mind was uh, an obscure, uh, unusual one called The Screwtape Letters. Oh, yes. This by is... C.S. Lewis. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys are nodding your heads, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of younger people haven't even heard of this book. No. Um, no. And the, re the reason I would recommend it is, is because it gives a unique window into uh, trying to further understand human nature. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't care whether you're whether you're Christian or not. I mean, you know, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, the author of the stuff he wrote about, obviously, most of his stuff had Christian themes. Yeah. But I would encourage anybody who 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 is just exploring or agnostic or whatever. Read this for its window into into human nature. So, gentlemen, uh, again, I want to thank you both of you so much for being with us today on Gray Matter. This has been a really an illuminating conversation with both of you. I want to wish you much continued success, James, and all the work that you're doing. And Dr. Wall, God bless you and the fight that you're fighting. I pray that you will win. I believe that you will win. I believe that those of us on the right side of the case will all win. I, I believe that battle has already won, has already been won, and you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, the truth has already been won. It's, it was won on the cross. Uh, and it's just for us, uh, you know, to, to quote Dr. Bonhoeffer again, it's for us to walk that, that out. That's the cost of our discipleship, and both of you are great examples of that. And so thank you very much for all that you're doing and also for being our special guests here today on Grey Matter. Thank you so much, Leighton.